Hey, Shannon, let's talk about some ways to help struggling readers learn strong comprehension strategies while modeling how good readers read. What is this special secret? It's shared reading, and it's not just for primary students. This is the Reading Teacher's Lounge, where listeners can eavesdrop on professional conversations between elementary reading teachers. We're passionate about literacy and strive to find strategies to reach all learners. Shannon and Mary are neighbors who realized that they were literacy soul sisters at a dinner in their Atlanta neighborhood. Once they started chatting about reading, they haven't really stopped. Come join the conversation. This is episode 11. I'm sorry, episode 12. Sorry, listeners. We're going to be doing the rest of our Balanced Literacy series, and today we're talking about shared reading. My name is Mary Sagafi, and I am a dyslexia advocate and a reading tutor, a mommy of two little girls, and I'm happy to be here in the Reading Teacher's Lounge. And I'm Shannon Betts. I've been teaching since 2002. I've taught kindergarten, first, second, third grade, and also variety levels as a reading specialist. And I'm the mother of two boys. Yeah. So today we're going to talk a little bit about shared reading. Um, And shared reading is another pillar in the Balanced Literacy um, series for us. Shared reading is interactive reading with teacher-guided support. And it's really essential for building that bridge to help struggling readers build up their fluency and expression, um, but also explicitly modeling how proficient readers approach text. Um, It can be done in whole group and in small group and individualized. And I'll be honest, out of all the components of balanced literacy, this is the one that I have the least amount of experience with. Um, And so I'm looking forward to learning a lot from what you're going to share on this episode. I did start dabbling in it when I was teaching kindergarten. We had a large group of big books. Right. So I challenged myself to do a big book a week and we did different activities with it, with using a pointer and the students and I taking turns um, doing some reading strategies. So that's, that is shared reading. And I think that's the essential shared reading that most teachers think of. Um, I actually used shared reading as one of like the big pillars in my balanced literacy really um, practice. Yeah, because shared reading is so explicit and it really models the how of reading. And that was the the struggling readers that I was working with. That's what they really needed. They needed to be shown. What am I supposed to do? I see you doing it. But how do I bridge to get to that piece? So that's what I really want to talk about a little bit more today. So while a lot of teachers think that um, think of the big books as shared reading, it's not just for primary students. And um, with the uh, smart boards in most classrooms in the U.S., um, a lot of access to projected books and, and being able to access curriculum and textbooks, you can project it and actually show the teacher, show the students in your classroom and model and read along with them. Um, and it's so much more accessible. So I'm pretty passionate about this. I can't wait to dive into this today. All right. So what are we going to go through in this episode? Okay. So in this episode, we're going to talk about what is shared reading. We're going to talk about what does it look like? We're going to talk a little bit about how parents can support shared reading at home. And then we're also going to talk um, about how shared reading can be effective instruction for struggling readers Um, and how to kind of dive deeper into um, how to really make the most of these shared reading lessons. So let's jump in. So 
so what is shared reading? Well, we just sort of talked about that. Um, but really what you need to know is that it's interactive reading with guided teacher support. So the students either have their own copy of the text in front of them or it's projected and all students' attention, either in your small group, in your large group, or in an individualized way, are all reading the exact same text. If you have a struggling reader, you could think of it as you're taking the burden off of the decoding, but you're really focusing on the comprehension strategies and the, the meat of the lesson that you want those students to take from that. So a lot of times a shared reading lesson would be working on text that would be two to three levels higher, usually one to two levels higher. It depends on um, how far away from grade level they are, but I would always stay within about the two to three range with my students so that they could access more grade level appropriate curriculum and be able to bridge those comprehension strategies so that as we work through the decoding and as we work through all of the phonics piece and the foundational skills that may or may not be there, I can still help them to access good quality instruction for comprehension strategies. So it's not the same as read aloud because then the teachers reading aloud completely and the students are just listening but not following along with their own copy of a text. Correct. And also read aloud can be done with so many levels higher. You can do three to four reading yep. levels higher. When you're saying shared reading would just be one to two levels, reading levels higher than exactly. the students. Exactly. Yep. And, and it's different than guided reading as well, because guided reading involves a lot more give and take from the teacher. This is a model from the teacher and it's explicit and the students are still engaged and suggesting strategies and talking the back and forth. And you should be able to see their brains actually following along modeling. I kind of like to think of it if you had a window into your brain and you could just like lift open the curtains and they could peek into your brain, you should be sharing as much verbal information as you can so that they can experience what your brain is experiencing as you read the text. And, and because they're it. reading it at the same time, mm -hmm. hopefully what's in your brain would start to yep. and this is get really in there. important, right, for for doing this modeling business. And we've talked so much about executive functioning with kids. And a lot of times when kids struggle with executive functioning, it's the how to get from one one piece of information to the next. How do you get it done? They need that modeled and shared reading really is that piece that provides the how. So if you think of it that way, that probably would be helpful. Side note, I'm getting a lot of that in my concussion treatment right now. Yeah, <laughs> I know. My executive functioning was damaged by my concussion and um, my appointments at my clinic each week. were go They're teaching me that how. They're doing the bridge for yes. me. Yes. And it is and teaching of, me strategies of things I can do once my treatment ends. Well, I I bet, as sad as I am that you're struggling with this, I bet it is fascinating to realize all of the things that you were able to do prior to and the things that you struggle with now um, and, and just how many little intricate pieces of information you have to kind of climb through and progress just to yes. get from one place to the next. Yes, and I'm starting to see that learning isn't... I took it for granted for most of my life that learning came easy to me. Yeah. Um, and so now I'm getting a glimpse into what it's like to not be the daughter of four professors. <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure. Yeah, absolutely. It's <laughs> and um, I'm having to learn how to learn again 
And so um, it's it's building empathy for some of my... I've always had a lot of empathy, I guess, or sympathy for my struggling students, and I've tried to be that bridge for them. But now that I've really experienced it myself, um, hopefully it'll make me a better teacher down the road. I was going to say, too, you've also come such a long way, too. So you can, you're experiencing, like, the neuroplasticity of it as well and yes. how your brain can change and grow and adults don't get the opportunity very often to experience that you're at least being treated by professionals that are helping you do that which is don't forget brains grow all the time yes (laughs) yes yeah it's really amazing and remarkable um so how does shared reading help students brains so i think i think the next piece of the what of shared reading um like when you're looking at it like what does it look like if you were to walk into a classroom what would it look like for my classroom, especially when I was working in a small group with similar grade level students, um, we would be reading a text, a, not so much a decodable text, but a little bit of a higher instructional text. Um, and we would be going through the lesson plan and we would stop at different points and I would be talking either modeling a think aloud, making predictions, using all of our comprehension strategies and modeling those with the students um, as either I'm reading the text the first time through um, or later as the week goes, we're still reading that same text and the students may be um, reading one paragraph at a time two paragraphs at a time, but we're all reading the same text with our fingers. Or sometimes, I don't know if you ever did this, but I had these little witch fingers that my kids would use. And so we would point to all of the words and that's how we would all stay engaged. If you were reading, then maybe you wanted to use the pointer or the marker and we would be underlining words or we would be underlining the text as we're reading. Um, And so those pieces are so critical then there would be a stopping point and we would be then discussing the text that we had just read and talking a lot about it. So while it does is similar to some guided reading, it's a little bit different. The teacher is really doing the same work as the students. Mm -hmm. So that's the piece that's a little bit different. Um, And um, it's really important to do this, especially in primary grades, of course, because you're teaching what do good readers look like. And those good readers um, can can use these big books. You can share them as a big group. That's great, too. All right, let's move on and say how can parents help support shared reading at their home. So when you are doing shared reading, it can be that you are just sitting with your child on their lap on your lap and you read uninterrupted the entire story and you may pause every now and then and let them predict a word in the text and um, if it's a familiar story that's definitely an easy thing to do if it's a rhyming story that's something easy to do um, you may also predict what's going to happen next in the text so right before the climax maybe you pause and say before we turn the page what do you guess is going to happen Um, And it doesn't have to be so big because as a parent, you're also teaching your child to enjoy the text and get really scooped Mm -hmm. up in it. And so I wouldn't go above and beyond. You don't need to do it every single page, but it is good to keep it in the back of your mind. How are you teaching text strategies to your child while you're sharing a reading story? Um, I guess just be thinking, how can I share this reading experience mm -hmm. with my child or with my student? Yeah. How can I? I'm reading, but how can I make sure that they're reading at the same time. Yep. The other one is a great way, and that's 
taking some of the burden off of your the the reader that you're sharing with and that's i read a page and you read a page mm-hmm. like left side right side yep where mm-hmm. depending on where we're sitting yeah so um okay i had a little thing where um when i did that and the students um what this is when i would do shared reading sometimes in an individual reading conference or something yep. and i would say well you can just tap you know on the desk if you want me to help you with a word or if we need to try a decoding strategy or something like that and Mm -hmm. I wouldn't always provide the word at that moment but if they gave me that tap that signal that was a low level way for them to know don't just guess at the word and you know don't um just skip it but recognize that it's something that you might a place in the reading where you might need help or if there's a place in the reading where they didn't understand like and they got that huh face you know what did I just read What just made me think, as well as you were talking about that, is with writing as well, that's also essential. With a shared writing piece, they can do the writing, and then you're reading it back to the student. And if something doesn't sound right as the adult is fluently reading it back, then the student also can then recognize, oh, I maybe need to edit this piece or edit it again. And, of course, you want to do that in a very careful way when you're working with a student, and you may have them raise their hand to stop um, if you you know if they notice that there's trouble in their writing piece or something I also would suggest only doing this as a one-on-one activity with students and not as a whole group you never want to shame a child if there's something that would be inaccurate in their in their writing Um, let's talk about with older readers other ways that we can do shared reading and um, one that I really liked to do when I was co-teaching was using the social studies weekly um, books readers. that we had, the readers, and the readers described historical events, and they provided content, vocabulary words, and things that we would model, and we could also project those as well. And so a lot of times in this co-teaching situation, I would take half the group, the other teacher would take half the group, we would model some of the vocabulary, or maybe she would be working on um, a different comprehension strategy and I would be working on vocabulary and then we would switch groups Um, and so when I would be working with my part of the group I would be doing a lot more modeling and a lot more explicit teaching to the students that I was working with in that group. But they're still reading the piece. The whole class is reading. Yep and everybody is reading the same text that's the key. You could also do that Scholastic News sends out little weekly readers as well. Well and even if you if if it's just one of those spur of the moment, um, you want to read something that is happening in the news mm-hmm. and you pull up the um, article online and, and you're reading along, you can highlight the text or highlight important pieces, stop with your students, l- allow them to read it as well. Um, th- that's a great example. News ELA is a great website to go to where yeah. you can search for news pieces um, by Lexa. Oh. And on the homepage, they'll have sort of current event articles to read. And so then you could strategically choose one, knowing the reading levels of your class and what would be a good... Yeah, what level would be appropriate. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's awesome. That's a really good one. You know, I forgot previously when we were still talking about primary students a little bit, um, really great examples of shared reading that are always like treasures for teachers are poetry and chants yes. and... Um, you know, making sure that students are understanding group level concepts or something. Uh, those are always really special and important too. So not to be missed out on the poetry chants and interesting higher level content, whole group concepts. Um, 
a great example of shared reading um, can be, I used to use reading A to Z, which I really loved. And I found that to be um, really great for me as a special ed teacher so that I could kind of um, scaffold the lessons a little bit more, either add in some different con- some different concepts or make it a little bit more explicit. But that five-day lesson plan for shared reading was really great for me and the students that I was working with. So um, I highly recommend that as an additional resource for teachers. So any of our listeners, if you are lucky enough to have a reading to A to Z subscription, yeah. um, or if you want to get the free trial, go on there and then search for shared reading. Yeah, shared reading is great. I'm going to provide a link to it. And um, if you don't have a subscription, they do offer a 14-day trial. And you can print out books for the students to read along with um, uh, projecting it on a smart board, which is also great. Or if you have access to Chromebooks, they could pull it up. Um, as oh, a, yes, I like that as idea with the devices. Um, yeah. I have probably done about six or seven of those free trials yeah. <laughs> with six or seven different email addresses that I have I'm probably on reading a disease radar <laughs> watching for IP addresses um, that open up free trial accounts but like they let you download a certain amount during your free trial That's period true. and so when a certain unit would be coming up like when our fables unit came up yeah. and I didn't have a lot of resources for it, I would go on reading it to see and get a bunch. I, I'm i going to give a little plug. Of course, they don't give us any money for this, but <laughs> if you want to, you're welcome to. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but um, no, reading it is the, I loved the content because it was always something that the students, uh, it was typically something that the students found to be really interesting or current event um, related or just something that they were very curious about. And so I always found the content to be kind yeah. of exciting. I went on there students. for our poetry unit too, because they had a lot of little mini anthologies for yeah. poetry in, in different reading levels. Well, I really love especially that they provide the lesson plans that go along with it. Um, so I'm going to talk a little bit more about how special ed teachers can support um, and dive a little bit deeper with their struggling readers, because I think that that's an area um, we know that our listeners are uh, you know, a variety. Some of you are college students, some of you are professors, some of you are reading specialists, some of you are special ed teachers. And I think that what makes Shannon and I tick so well together is that Shannon really understands the content um, that needs to be taught in, in a general ed classroom. And she's very good at the strategies that can reach the whole class. And I find that I'm kind of one who like tends to gravitate towards the margins of the classroom. And that's you know, that's my wheelhouse. And so I think that a lot of times, especially new special education teachers and people who are still developing their bag of tricks um, are like, okay, well, I've taught the content, but it's still not quite reaching my kids. So I have another resource that I wanted to share, and I'm going to give a little bit of, um, um, share a little bit more about it. So I have a new book, and Mary always has new books, you guys. Uh, Amazon's always at my house. <laughs> Sorry, publishing companies. Um, but um, it's called Executive Skills and Reading Comprehension. And I, when I picked up this book, it's by um, Kelly B. Cartwright. And it is a really exceptional guide. I really love um, the beginning where it says there are always students that you're trying to reach. And they're not always the classic kids who can't decode, but it's the kids who can't comprehend. And I've definitely met a number of struggling readers in that realm as well. And so while, you know, I 
preach phonics high and low. Um, sometimes there are students who are good at decoding, but they're really just not making all of the comprehension connections. And this book really talks a lot about how kids who struggle with executive functioning, kids who have um, ADHD or, or other processing, working memory issues, um, they may really need that how modeled for them a lot more explicitly. And so I'm going to do um, just this little example that, that they have in this book. There's lots of interventions that they recommend. Um, it really gets into what is the working memory and how is that tricky. And it is something that often like stumps a lot of educators. So what they recommend here is explicitly explaining working memory. The teacher would then model, today I'm going to tell you about another thinking skill that good readers have. Remember, shared reading is always teaching your kids what do good readers do. Good readers have really good memories, and they're good at specific kind of memory called working memory. Working memory is that space in your head where you hold information while you're doing something because that information will help you do it better. When you're reading, working memory helps you to understand text better. It helps you to connect things in text to knowledge that you already have, and it helps you connect different pieces of text together. So both of these help you to better understand what you read. Let me show you what I mean with an example from Charlotte's Web by E.B. White. This is the 1952 version, page 7. In the first chapter of the book, after her father gave her a small pig, Fern, the main human character, was on her way to school, and this is what the book says next. By the time the bus reached school, Fern had named her pet, selecting the most beautiful name she could think of. Its name is Wilbur, she whispered to herself. She was thinking about the pig when the teacher said, Fern, what is the capital of Pennsylvania? Wilbur, replied Fern dreamily, and the pupils giggled and Fern blushed. This is the part where it gets a little more explicit, so pay attention. So tell me, when the book says her pet, who does her refer to and who does pet refer to? So you're going to talk to your students and have a discussion of how these words um, and help them explain that her is for fern and pet is for the pig. And now, where was fern when the teacher asked her a question? The students should probably respond that she was in the classroom. And if they say school, then ask them where in the school and engage them in a discussion of how they know this. Now, when fern says Wilbur, her classmates giggled. Why did they do this? And why did Fern blush? And the students should indicate that they thought it was funny, perhaps indicating that Harrisburg is the capital of Pennsylvania and that Fern was embarrassed. So the book doesn't say classmates or students, it says pupils. Yet you knew what I meant when I asked you about Fern's classmates. And the book doesn't say that the other students thought that her answer was funny, and it doesn't tell you that Fern was embarrassed. It doesn't tell you that the real capital of, of Pennsylvania either. So to answer all these questions about this little quote from Charlotte's Web, you used your working memory. You matched her to Fern, pet to pig, and you figured out where Fern was when the teacher asked her a question. You knew that the other students, whom the author calls pupils, not students, thought Fern's answer was funny. And you knew that Fern was embarrassed, and you knew that Wilbur was not the capital of Pennsylvania. So all of these answers required you to hold a lot of information in your brain. Um, and to hold these little bits of information from the book in your mind, you recalled prior knowledge, and then you connected those ideas together to fill in ideas that weren't even in the book. Those are complicated tasks, and yet your working memory helped you to do that quite easily. Sometimes readers have more trouble, though. Using your working memory to help um, 
your students understand the text in this way is what we're going to learn some ways to do that easily. They mention several different other strategies to help your students do all of that, but that's how explicit it does need to be sometimes for your readers. They need to understand as they're going through, they have to make those connections, especially if you have students that are very black and white thinkers, kids that don't always understand and interpret jokes um, correctly, kids that don't always pick up on social cues. Being this explicit is actually really important, and it's not something that is always um, the teacher's first task or something that they think of. So if you are working with a group of students and you feel like you're not quite meeting their needs exactly the way that you need to, you probably do need to delve a little bit deeper. And I think that this is a super great resource to help you delve a little bit deeper to making those connections. because. Um, they recommend a number of different skills then to help your students learn how to build up their working memory if that's a weakness for them. And it is a weakness probably for two to three kids in your class. I really liked that whole lesson and just kind of almost being like a fly on the wall um, of watching that teacher explain the comprehension, explain the metacognition, and read that one passage with the students and point out all of those things. Right. And and multiple times mm-hmm. they repeat, she, re, I, I say she because it's me, repeating the information over again to keep it in their working memory and to continuously recall, oh, remember, you remembered this about this part. You remembered this about this part. There are multiple pieces you have to keep in your brain. And sometimes um, that is something that is required for students to make those connections a little bit more. Having just one lesson and checking it off that you're done is not really the work of a special education teacher. And as adults, we might do that type of close reading and have all those observations automatically. But in shared reading, you're making explicit, like you said, opening up the brain and showing Mm -hmm. all the different jumps that our brains make when we're reading to connect all those observations and thoughts. Um, so I recognize that this is not like leisurely by the pool reading <laughs> that, you, that you may just pick up, but I do feel like this is um, really exceptional way of going going in a little bit deeper. Um, some ways to practice and update your working memory. She has several different strategies and talking about how to introduce um, ambiguous language, and, and she gives several examples of how to teach that. And... Um, how to really understand the pronouns within the text and making sure that those pronouns match what the students are thinking. I used to do this, I guess, maybe one-on-one with students or sometimes during guided reading when we would um, be reading chapter books and a lot of times in dialogue, it just has quotation marks, quotation marks, quotation marks, quotation marks, and it doesn't do the who said and who said because the author is expecting you to be able to follow that conversation right. between the characters and a lot of times students. Um, they need to be explicitly shown how to do that. Yeah. So I think I think that's the piece that, um, you know, we have so much information at our fingertips. And I think as adults, we tend to gloss over a lot of that information um, because we want to pick out what's most important. But we can't forget that those connection pieces are also really important, particularly for our struggling readers. So um Thanks so much for joining the Reading Teachers Lounge. Yeah, Do you just, have anything else no, to add? No, I, I think can't... just a challenge of just, um, even to myself, um, as I'm reading with my children at school or children at home, um, how can I share this reading experience? This is one of 
the components of balancer say, like I said, that I'm not as familiar with, but I've learned a lot from you in our discussion. Oh. And so how can I um, do less so that this, you know, so that the readers can do more? Correct. But also still be there as a support and modeling. Yep. I was going to say, um, one of the really tricky pieces, and, and now that we're into January, I start to see this with clients um, especially, but I was in the thick of it when I was in the classroom. January and third grade especially is this key turning point where the teachers start to really let go a lot of the responsibility of reading tasks where we head into fourth grade and we are reading to learn instead of learning to read. So it's, it's, it just jumps a lot to independent reading. Right. And so that... Well, the responsibility and the onus of being a really good, strong reader and a good comprehender is placed on students where it may not always, where they might not be ready for that responsibility just yet. And so if you're noticing that with your students, make sure that shared reading is an approach that you try again, because it can actually really bridge the gap between different instructional levels. And it actually, some of the research shows that shared reading is the part that makes the difference between kids moving from one um, instructional level to the next. Yes, I saw that in a recent blog post, and the um, author said, you know, if a student is just kind of stuck and can't advance to the next level, um, look at those reading behaviors and do some shared reading Um, activities and um, working on those behaviors to see if that can bridge the gap to get them ready for the next level. Yep, that's exactly it. All right, good stuff. Thanks for joining us. Thank you to Jordan. To Jordan Kumker, to um, Allison Zane of Fruit Creative for our artwork, and um, to all of our listeners, please make sure that you join the conversation. Reach out to us on social media at Reading Teachers Lounge on Facebook or Instagram. You can email us um, at readingteacherslounge at gmail.com. All right. Till next time. Bye-bye.